This is the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church of Ames, a podcast designed to help you live a gospel-fueled and faithful life wherever Jesus has called you. Welcome again to the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church. My name is Mark Vance. Good to me be with you all on the podcast. Today I want to talk about pro-life issues, the rights of the unborn and why people made in God's image, even unborn people made in God's image matter to God. All of this comes obviously socially inside of a moment where the question about abortion and the rights of the unborn is very prominent in American life because we're looking at a major Supreme Court decision that is about to be handed down. I'm recording this in the middle of June. By the time you listen to this, it's very possible that the Supreme Court may have overturned the prior ruling of Roe v. Wade that legalized or at least held a legal right to abortion across the United States of America. Even inside of the state of Iowa, there was a recent uh, legal decision by our own Supreme Court that said we no longer recognize a right to abortion as a state. The point is there are social winds turning where it seems like the case for the legal right to an abortion um, is being struck down. And so right now there's great hope among Christians, people who've advocated for the rights of people made in God's image, even in the womb, to have dignity and value. It seems like those arguments are going to uh, win the day at some level um, in a legal sense, which as Christians we should rejoice, rejoice over. But the point of the podcast really today is I think actually right now presents us with a really critical moment as Christians. Right now, we have a test of whether as Christians we are anti-abortion or whether we're pro-life. And I do think there's a bit of a distinction there. But in, in the way I'm setting it up, anti-abortion means like basically the whole goal was overthrow Roe v. Wade, and as long as we get that and get laws enacted that prohibit the, the uh, practice of abortion, then we've done what we need to do. And while I certainly think that is a social good, I certainly oppose the practice of abortion as, in effect, the murder of an unborn person. I I am advocating that abortion is wrong. I believe that to the core of my being. I think that is certainly something that we are called to as Christians, but it's far short of what ultimately we are called to in being pro-life. When I say pro-life, I don't just mean we are against the murder of unborn babies. What I mean is we are for the flourishing of people made in God's image, which means it's not that there is less to do than working to see things like Roe v. Wade overturned. There's just far more to do as Christians. So I want to basically today do a couple things. I want to outline the basic argument for why, as Christians, we we advocate for the rights of the unborn and why we are anti-abortion and pro-life. But then beyond that, I want to give kind of five key areas that I think Christians need to think about right now as we are beginning to see certain legal winds turning in our country. We also need to move toward these five areas to be robustly not just anti-abortion, but pro-life. So first, let's do this. If you were to give a simple summary of the logic of why Christians believe that the unborn children have rights, have dignity, that argument for his Christian begins in Scripture. And so it begins with a couple basic premises. The first premise is this, that all human beings made in God's image have intrinsic value. 
People aren't just valuable because of what they contribute or how good they are. They are valuable because Genesis one twenty seven says God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So people are valuable because God is valuable. People are not valuable just because of what they produce. They're valuable intrinsically in the essence of who they are because they are made in God's image. And that that image of God is formed in every human being when they are conceived. Psalm 139 says that we are formed in our inward parts. We are knit together in our mother's womb. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Psalm 139 says, God's eyes saw our unformed substance. That, that's in the womb substance. And in our book, we're written every one of the days before we were formed, when as yet there were none of them. Psalm 139, that's verses 13 to 16, then clearly shows us this case. It's an individual in the womb before birth, seen and known by God. Their, their gift in that children, in their essence, are not just a commodity, but because they are made in God's image, they are a gift. They're a treasure. The Bible over and over again lifts up the value of children. Psalm 127, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward, right? So, all of those key arguments simply say that God values life. God values the life of people. So, People made in God's image, even unborn people, have rights because of their status as image bearers. And so all of the biblical prohibitions then against the unjust taking of life don't just apply to you once you're 21, they apply to you even when you're 21 weeks old. Even earlier than that, Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments, the command, thou shalt not murder, applies to all people made in the image of God. And so, therefore, as Christians, as we look at those who are unborn, there is a special work of justice that we're called to. We're called, Proverbs 31.8, in Lemuel's mother's words to him, it says to use his power to speak up for those who can't speak for themselves, to speak up for the rights of all those who are poor and oppressed. James 1.27 says that pure and faultless religion before our God and Father is this, it's to look after orphans and widows in their time of distress to keep ourselves unstained by the world. If there is anyone in the world who cannot speak up for themselves, who are defenseless, who need those with power to advocate for them, it is those who are in the womb. They cannot speak up for themselves. So as Christians, there's a clear biblical call Not simply to recognize that unborn babies are valuable, but to work for their protection because they cannot protect themselves. And that Christian idea that all all children have intrinsic worth because they're made in the image of God is the core argument that fights back against kind of other arguments for why abortion should be justified. Often when people say, you know, abortion is justified because these aren't really people, they kind of follow one of four lines of thinking. They say, okay, so this is kind of the question, when do people become people? When does someone become an image bearer? The Christian idea is that we are image bearers by virtue of basically our conception as a person. That upon conception, we bear the image of God. Others, though, when you don't have a Christian framework, you wrestle with the question of when does a person become a person? And so, think of the acronym SLED, 
Some people make the argument that S, size, is what it takes. So big people are more human than smaller people. Babies are extremely small, so once they get big enough, kind of size determines when they should be afforded the status as a human and protected by law. Uh, The L is level of development. Some people use um, level of development. So are they self-aware? Can they think? Things like that. The problem with level of development clearly becomes, does that make older children more valuable than infants? Like at what level of development? Who establishes the level of development necessary for a person to be a person? Some others say um, that it's E, it's environment, okay? So in other words, the environment of in the womb to out of the womb, that basic change of environment changes the, the dignity or changes the rights of the person, and then the final, the D, some people make the argument that it's about dependency, or you'll hear this viability, that once people are viable, once they can survive on their own, then they're intrinsically human. <clears throat> Pardon me as I clear my throat there. So those are the kind of the non-Christian arguments. The flaw in all of those is that it doesn't make rights of image bearers intrinsic to the person. Instead, it makes it dependent on something they have or contribute. Are they big enough or good enough or smart enough or strong enough? Well, then they deserve value. Now, the the Christian case is that, the simple reality is that people made in God's image have rights, have dignity, on the basis of the fact that they are image bearers, and therefore we have to advocate for them. That has led Christians to oppose the practice of abortion, to oppose the murder of unborn children made in God's image. But I want to now kind of shift and say, if we are about to see a radical change in the legal status of abortion in America— where Roe v. Wade is no longer the law governing all of the land, where state by state there are differences. There is certainly still, by the way, more legal work to do there, as states work to enact just and fair laws that protect the rights of the unborn. And Christians should certainly advocate for that. But what I want to push us on is I want us to say this. I fear that many Christians will see Roe v. Wade as the end goal. The overthrow of Roe v. Wade is the end goal. So fire off a confetti cannon, have a huge celebration, and what we forget is that is only one step of what it looks like to be vibrantly pro-life. As Christians, we're not just called to be anti-abortion. We have to be pro-image bearer, pro-people made in God's image, flourishing, living with the dignity and value that Scripture assigns to them and that we should give to them. So let me give you five places where if, let's say, Roe v. Wade is overturned, there's a radical legal change, here's five areas where I think the day after that happens, Christians need to become engaged and involved, and we're at Cornerstone, we're trying to move forward in these areas. Here's here's area number one, we need to be involved. If we're really fully pro-life, not just anti-abortion, area number one, we need to be pro-family. I cannot tell you how profoundly important the basic building block of a family is to human flourishing. If we want to be pro-people made in God's image, we need to be pro the good design that God has given to us in the family. God has built the family as the mechanism to care for children. 
to protect the rights of the vulnerable, to provide for them. God's design is for a mom and a dad who love one another, <clears throat> pardon me, who love God, who love their children, to work together for the flourishing of their family. Christians, we need to, if we want to be pro-life all the way, we need to not just simply fight against abortion. We need to hate divorce. We need to labor for families to stay together. We need to call families where their brokenness to heal. We need to call dads to provide and to lead, to moms to lead and to love in their home. If we want to see people flourishing in God's image, I can guarantee you moms and dads are way more important than almost any other thing we're going to work on. A healthy family is the building block of human flourishing. If you see a problem in school, we can do all we want in a school classroom, but if we don't have a foundation of a mom and dad who love one another and build their house with order, discipline, and care, well, in the school, it's unlikely that a teacher can unwrite what the family has prescribed. You see, what we do, we have this phrase, we, I don't know what book I got it from, but what we say is when people accept Christ, they may have prayed to have Jesus in their heart, but they still have their grandparents and their parents in their bones. And what I mean by that is the patterns and habits of how we live are shaped by how we were raised. In simply praying to accept Christ, while that gives us a new direction and orientation, the habits and default ways of living in our life are largely instilled in us by what we saw growing up. We have to conscientiously change away from some of those sinful habits when we come to Christ. We have to make that decision to have a different perspective on family. So Christians, churches have to be pro-family. I'm not simply talking about, you know, ignoring single adults, not anything like that. What I'm saying is the Christian church should be working to help families flourish. That is the best way to love kids. That is often the best way to love schools. I want to have a great children's ministry, but far more important to the children of our church is a flourishing mom and dad in Jesus. Here's the second thing, Christians, we need to do to be pro-life, not just anti-abortion. We need to hold up the good of God's design for sexual morality. Often, when I was growing up, when we talked about sexual morality, I grew up in kind of a purity culture sort of era where really what we did was shamed people for bad behavior. If you are sexually immoral and you get pregnant out of wedlock, there was tremendous shame attached to that. And I think at times, shame for sin is right. But let me be clear here. While conviction of sin is something that God brings— Far more foundational than telling us what is wrong, the Bible lifts up in sexual morality what is good, right, holy, and what God's designed us for. As Christians, if we want to be pro-people made in God's image, teaching people the good of God's design for human sexuality inside of marriage, between one man and one woman, for life. That is God's design, and it is very good indeed. And when we follow God's design— what we find is children are born inside of God's good order. Children born outside of marriage, 
while they are people made in God's image, are born outside of the good design that God has built for their flourishing. They're starting life with a foundation that is flawed. So what we want to advocate for is not to shame those who have failed, but we want to lift up God's good, beautiful design. Sexual activity is forbidden in all instances outside of marriage between a man and a woman. That is forbidden, not because God hates us, but because he loves us and wants our good. And so part of being pro-life is being pro-a biblical sexual morality. Okay, third place we need to work to be pro-life, not just anti-abortion. We need to work in areas of care for people impacted by poverty, particularly children and families. If you look at abortion rates in America, there is a direct correlation between them and poverty. Children conceived for a mom who may be single and who's very poor are more likely to be aborted. That's just the simple reality. There's a correlation between poverty and life. And so one of the things we can do to not just be anti-abortion, but pro-life, pro-people made in God's image, being given dignity and value, is to work to see people make their way out of poverty to help them find dignity by holding a job, by working forward, to help them to get ahead of the curve, to get people out of that vicious cycle of downward momentum. And so even, I just want to put a huge plug in here for Mel Pearson, Stacey Hensley, what they do here at Cornerstone through just our Home for a While ministry, where we help families for a while have a free place to live as they work their way toward getting a job, toward getting a stable housing. Our Faith and Finances class, where we work with people who are impacted by poverty to set a new trajectory. That sort of work is just as much pro-life work as fighting against abortion, and we need to do far more of it. Far more of it, Christians, needs to be done. I'm not just advocating for governmental care. I'm advocating for people made in God's image, finding dignity through work. And as Christians, we want to lift up people to find dignity. Here's a fourth area that being pro-life we have to work for. We need to think about what is going to happen in states where abortion is outlawed, and now mothers with very few resources find themselves with a child. So that means... We need to work with crisis pregnancy centers. We need to work with care centers. We need to do what we can if we can come alongside of a hospital to care for mothers. If there are ways we can partner with the government, I don't want only government solutions, but certainly there's not less than government solutions here. Many states that have the most restrictive abortion laws that will go in effect after Roe v. Wade also have the worst child care laws, the worst provisions for mothers and babies. And so if you think that that won't have an impact on children, you're kidding yourself. I'm not advocating for government solutions alone, though. I think as Christians in particular, we need to think if babies are saved, that means babies are born. How do we help those babies and moms to succeed? And this is where, again, a plug here for crisis pregnancy centers like Obria, like the Agape Centers, like Alpha Women's Center down in Des Moines, where my wife used to work. They're doing such good work to care for expecting mothers, to train them in how to raise their babies well, to give them the tools and the resources they need. And Christians, we need to do far more of that. We need to do far more of that. And then a fifth area, we need to continue to advocate for the beauty of adoption and foster care as a way to care for children. Foster care is in many ways our first choice because in foster care, what we're doing is doing all we can to help a family get to health so that children can be raised by their God-given parents. 
that is the best option. But there are times when that family unit has so broken down, when those parents have so been unable to fulfill the obligations that they have parentally, that adoption needs to come in where children are orphaned, where there's no right care for them. And in that case, as, ch- as Christians, if there are babies who need to find a home, who grow into children who need to find a home, let's let that home be one, Christians, where Jesus is lifted up and the gospel is proclaimed and God is known. Let's be on the front lines of foster care in our county. Cornerstone Church, you have done such a great job of this. I'm so proud of what our church has done here. I want to see us do more and more, though, because there's going to be more and more need. Let's say that Roe v. Wade overturned means that thousands of babies are born who would not have been. The question we have to ask is, where will those babies end up? How do we help those image bearers to have the best possible outcome? That's why adoption and foster care are going to be needed in some levels. My family story is part of this. My brothers were both adopted out of situations where their mothers were unable to care for them. And my parents took it on them to say, this is what God looks like. He's a father to the fatherless. And so we want to be like God in that way. We want to obey him and we want to see our family grow. That is a beautiful expression of the gospel. And it's certainly something that being pro-life demands of us. So in summary, again, my urge, my plea to you, as you think about what is happening in our country with the rewriting of Roe v. Wade, with a seemingly different legal direction that we now are taking, please, Christians, don't simply be anti-abortion. Be rigorously and robustly pro-life. Work to see image bearers treated with dignity. That means we have to be pro-family. We have to embrace God's good design for sexual morality. We need to work to see poverty lowered, to see people raised to dignity through work and responsibility. We need to see pregnancy care, not just through the government, but through God's people. And we need to advocate for adoption and foster care as beautiful expressions of what it looks like to care for people made in God's image. We have an opportunity, Christians. We have an opportunity right now. If we have advocated all these years for the elimination of Roe v. Wade, and right now what that means is a whole bunch of moms now give birth to children that we offer no help to them to care for, then all we've done is rewritten the legal code but not lid with our hearts to love people made in God's image. Let's be not just anti-abortion in this moment, Christians, Let's be rigorously gospel-centered, Bible-driven, pro-life people. Let's be people who love those who are made in God's image and who work to see them flourish in every way that we can.